Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Is all scripture profitable? Are we willing to accept and believe that all scripture is from God, is valid, and is good for teaching and correction? If we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, this is Paul talking to Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Do we believe that? Or do we pick and choose what we believe? Do we throw out the Old Testament? Do we set it aside? Do we say it is useless to us. I have caught myself before saying things like, well, we don't follow the Old Testament. So do we still treat the Old Testament as the inspired Word of God? Now, we know that we actually do not follow the Old Law. That is understood, and there's no problem with that. If we follow the Law of Love, that Jesus gave to us, we will fulfill the requirements of the old law, just as he did in his life. We also do not follow the old Jewish traditions. Those are man-made traditions, and societies often create their own traditions. We have some of our own. We have traditions in our society. Some are good, some are neutral, and some are bad. But I want us to see something. I warn you, we need to bounce around a little bit. We're going to start off here in uh, Matthew's account of the Lord's temptations in chapter 4. But we're going to bounce around a lot. So if you're following in your Bible, you want to kind of keep hold of Matthew chapter 4. And then we'll move around and we'll come back. So hold on to that spot, okay? All right. I will have everything on the screen, of course, but just in case you're following along in your Bible. So first, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Let's look at that first temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now this quotation that Jesus used, this is from God talking to the children of Israel and explaining that they should follow his commandments. If you look back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3, He humbled you, now this is talking about God, He humbled you, and let you be hungry, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus was using this, and the quotation isn't always exact the way the translations read, but the quotation is there, and it's clear enough to understand that he's referring to this. 
Sometimes we would call that a paraphrase, where you're not quoting exactly directly, but you are paraphrasing, and the meaning is exactly the same. That man does not live by bread or natural food alone, but we live through trusting in God. So, let's look at the second temptation. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, this is a reference back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Again, this is God giving the law to the Israelites. And it refers back to Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, when the congregation complained that they were going to die and God had brought them out into the wilderness where they had no water and God ended up bringing water from a rock for them. Their complaint here in, uh, yeah, their complaint here is, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Basically accusing God, trying God, testing God in a, not in a good way, accusing him of bringing them out there to die. If we look at Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, that last verse, he named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Just as a point of reference or just something to note, they were following the Lord in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud day and night. I don't know how they would even have that question, but nonetheless, they did. Massa and Meribah mean test and quarrel. So Jesus, in responding to Satan, responding to his temptation, in responding to that temptation, he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now this temptation was one of, I view this temptation of not being like the bread temptation was one of, he was hungry. He'd been in the wilderness for 40 days and had not eaten and he was hungry. So that was a fleshly temptation. This one is saying it's a temptation of pride. If you are the Son of God, if you are who you claim to be, you will do this to prove it to me. And, and that brings out that, that sense of pride where you want to prove that you are what you claim to be, right? So this was a test of pride, the way I read this, the way I understand this. And Jesus just said, no, you know, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So let's move on to the third temptation. And this is in Matthew chapter 4 again, verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain 
and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So Jesus here is referring again, in a paraphrase, he's referring back to, again, Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is verses 13 through 15. You shall fear, now this fear is reverence for the Lord. There is, of course, it would be some fear. The Lord is all-powerful. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you, for the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. So first, notice that Jesus again responds to Satan with the word of God. And this temptation is different. This is a temptation of, like, greed or pride of life. You know, it's that uh, lust of the eyes. You know, he shows him all these things. Ooh, that you can have all these things. But Jesus says, no, I only worship God. I only worship the God. So, Jesus responded with the word of God each time. And each time it was from Deuteronomy, the old law or the Old Testament. This was the example that the Lord set for us. The Old Testament and the Old Law was certainly useful to Jesus. He considered them to be extremely important. And then we can look and see what Jesus says about this. If we look at John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to some Jewish leaders. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. They're close when they're looking at the scriptures. The scriptures mention Jesus. Jesus has eternal life. Another instance, when a woman said a blessing to Jesus' mother, he said this. This was in Luke chapter 11. That she said, you know, blessed be the womb that bore you and these things. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Now, I want us to think, what word of God is Jesus referring to? What scriptures did they have? The scriptures they had were the Old Testament, the Old Law, and the Prophets. The New Testament was not written yet. The Gospels certainly were not written yet. None of that was written yet. If we look again, after he was risen, while he was eating some fish with them, the disciples, Jesus is speaking to them again. And this is in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 47. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning with Jerusalem. Then there was a time in John when uh, the Jews were preparing to stone Jesus because he claimed to be one with God. And this is in John chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. And that's the part I wanted us to notice. And the scripture cannot be broken. Some translations say the scripture cannot be set aside. We can't say that the old law, the Old Testament, and I'm going to say more of the Old Testament. We can't say that the Old Testament is broken or set aside. Yes, Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies and fulfilled the law for us. But that does not relegate the Old Testament to being useless or not important. That is what Jesus taught from. That is what Jesus had to work with, and that's what he used. That is the Word of God, the original Word of God, the Old Testament. So I want us to look again when Jesus was praying for the disciples and for us in John 17. Notice what he says in John 17, verse 17, this part of the prayer, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So the Old Testament is still truth. That has not changed. God's Word, the Scriptures, the Bible is truth, and it sanctifies us. We cannot know of Jesus' salvation without the Bible, and I mean the entire Bible. And be aware that Satan knows the Scripture. You saw that in the temptations. We need to know it better. If we don't, then he will twist it and torture us with our ignorance, and that's what he was trying to do to Jesus. Part of those temptations is testing what Jesus knew of the Scripture. Does he really know what he is claiming to know? And we need to be aware there are atheists and enemies of God and confused people in the world And some of them actually know the Bible quite well in a worldly way. So, we need to know it better. We need to understand it properly. We need to understand how to make the application of the Word in our daily lives. In the temptations, Jesus is showing us how to respond to temptation, to evil, and even to emotional situations where we may be tempted to react rashly or incorrectly. Jesus responded with the scripture of his day. That was all there was, the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets. Notice he did not respond from Jewish customs or sayings of men or things like that. It was direct quoting or paraphrasing from the word of God in the right context, which is very important. 
So to bring us back to our main topic and point in case you feel we've strayed, do we believe that all Scripture is from God and has power and is still His Word? Well, yes, we do, and we should. The old law is the foundation of the new. The law of love that Jesus gives us is built upon the old law, the Old Testament, and the prophets. The Old Testament is still powerful and meaningful and useful. It is important that we read it and understand it in context. It will actually improve our understanding of the new covenant with our Savior, Jesus. There are some things that are only covered in the Old Testament. Understand that though our covenant has changed, the Bible does not contradict itself, and the Lord does not contradict himself in the Scriptures. What is true in the Old Testament is still true for us under the law of love. And remember, God is love, so we are still following the law of God. It's a little bit of a play on words, but the law of love is the law of God. This was what he had always planned to be with us in our everyday lives, for us to trust and believe in his word and follow him, our father, into the best life, the best eternal life, not just here, though also here, but eternally. We don't want to be too focused on this life. This life is our learning ground. So Jesus, speaking to the apostles on their last night, said these things, and these also apply to us. If you look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Jesus, as the firstborn of the resurrection, has gone on before us. He has prepared a place for all of us, and he is coming back to get us and take us there. And in the next verses, he resolves our doubts. We're human. We will have times of doubts and fears, But he has this exchange with Thomas. And this is just a few verses down in verses 5 and 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, Jesus is the way to God and to what we call heaven. Jesus also continues in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus is one with God. If we know him as our Lord, then we know the Father. Now, Philip misunderstands, and sometimes we do that. Sometimes we misunderstand. We don't always understand everything. But Jesus wants to make sure that we do. He wants to make this clear. So in the next verses, verses 8 through 10, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. 
Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me, he does the works. Jesus is the way to God the Father, to heaven, and to eternal life. The Old Testament tells of his coming, and the New Testament gives us his teachings and tells us again of his coming when he will return. The new building on the old, but both pointing to Jesus. Both the old and the new are extremely important to us and to our understanding of the Lord and our salvation. We need to remember that the scriptures that they referred to, both Paul and Peter and Jesus, and in the, in the New Testament, the scriptures they refer to are the scriptures of the Old Testament. That is mainly what they had in those days. Yes, they were writing these epistles and things, and these were published later, but they did not have the Bible as we have it now. So the Old Testament is still very extremely important, and all Scripture is profitable for teaching and for correction and for training in righteousness, just as Paul was telling Timothy. So I want to thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day. May God bless you and keep you safe. And remember, God loves you.